This morning we'll be studying um, a passage from Luke. It's going to be Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. And I'll be reading from the ESV version, um, just in case you're following along in your Bibles. So that's Luke uh, 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he is mighty. He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown great strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. May God bless the reading of his word. good now? All right, there we go. As I mentioned, we're starting a new sermon series. Um, some of us might, might think that this Advent season has something to do with Christmas. Perhaps the expectation and anticipation that came with the birth of Christ. And you'd be right, it's true, but that's only part of the story. Advent, the word Advent comes from the Latin word for, for coming. That's to say that when we think of Advent, we think of the coming of Christ. And for us who, who live on this side of the cross, it begs the question, which coming of Christ? His birth or his return? And the answer is yes. Typically, churches celebrate Advent uh, on the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And we're definitely going to be doing that through candle lighting and, and scripture reading starting next week. But last week, we just finished this 25-sermon-long uh, series through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and so we're kind of going just straight into this new sermon series a, a week early. And throughout this entire sermon series, uh, we're going to be looking at different songs or hymns that were sung in the midst of this history in the making event. Today is Mary's song, as Natalie read for us. Next week is Zechariah's song, then the angel's song, then Simeon's song, and lastly, a, a passage in 1 Timothy that we've titled the first hymn. And all of these, all of these songs of Advent take us through a reflection and in a response to Advent, to Christ's coming. Now, as I mentioned last week, we ended on the cross of Christ, the resurrection. That was the last chapter of, of Mark. And today, we're going to be rewinding a little bit and starting on the birth of Christ. It might seem a little bit backwards to us, but I think what it does is it gives us perspective. It helps us to make sense of this miraculous conception. 
of God breaking into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a, there's a common TV trope that's, that's used in episodes. It's called the how we got here trope. Some of you might recognize this from all the TV shows you watch. The episode opens up. It's in the middle uh, of the story. And so the, the scene opens, and, and something climactic is going on, maybe something suspenseful, that the hero is in danger, the world seemingly about to end, the doctor perhaps botching his operation. Then it cuts to a shot that says, 12 hours earlier. And the story takes you through the events leading up to that opening scene, and then continues the story past that. In a similar way, last week, we saw the cross of Jesus Christ, his resurrection. Cut to a shot that says 33 years and nine months earlier, and we get today's passage, the birth of Christ, or more probably accurately, the the conception of Christ and the celebration over it. But what we'll find, too, is that as we, as we work our way through Mary's song, as we work our way through the lyrics of the song, it's not only going to focus our attention on this birth or this conception of Christ, but it's also going to point our attention to his return, to both his comings. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to me again to today's passage. It's uh, Luke chapter 1, 46 to 55. We land right in the middle of the narrative as Mary is singing the song of praise. And so there's got to be a reason for this, right? Even when, when people break out in song in high school musical, there's a reason. And so why is Mary all of a sudden singing the song in Advent, the musical? Why does she begin to sing the song of praise to God? And the reason is this. God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. The song that, that Mary sings, it's, it's short. It's much shorter than all the songs that we sang this morning. But she wastes no breath in declaring what God has done, is doing, and will do. How is God fulfilling his promises? What is, what is Mary praising God for? Or about, she sings aloud about what God has done for her, what God has done for all those who fear him, and what God has done for Israel. And so here's the first example as we work our way through the passage of what, how God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. God acts for Mary. Verses 46 to 49 of this psalm. So actually, you know, as a congregation, let's actually read these lyrics together. Ready? My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Amen. Mary begins her song exclaiming, my soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Her praise for God runs deep. You see, she's not just moving her lips mindlessly, reciting words to a song she knows far too well. 
She is worshiping God from the, the depths of her being. And as she's seen, she's emphasizing the praiseworthiness of God. That God is worthy of her praise, of all praise. Twice for emphasis, she sings of how she praises God. And when she's singing the song, she means it. She really wants to praise God. The praise erupts from her soul, her spirit. The words burst forth from her mouth. God be praised. Rejoice, rejoice, God is my Savior. And as she's seen the song of praise, you know, she begins precisely as a response to what God has done. What she is doing is a response to what God has already done. Now if you skim over the lines of these, these lyrics, in the first two lines, yes, we see the subject is Mary, the verb is, you know, she's praising God. But after that, every single line, the subject is God and what he's done. This is praise. Verse 48, he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. Verse 49, he, God who is mighty, has done great things for me. We sang about that earlier. Mighty fortress is our God. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. God has done this, God has done that. The whole song of praise highlights God's mighty and merciful acts. And here Mary gives two specific reasons for why she praises God. Two reasons that we should pay close attention to. One, verse 48 my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for or because he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. You see, Mary praises God because God chose Mary out of all the people, in spite of, maybe not because of her lowly state. In love, in loving care, God chose her to have this special and significant role to bear the Messiah. And here's a second reason, verse 49. For he who is mighty, God, he's done great things for me. What, what are these great things? Well, the, me the message that the angel gave her earlier in verses 30 to 33. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is big news. Good news. You see, Mary, in her humility, she recognizes her subordinate position before God. She recognizes that, that God is God and she is not. In the eyes of the world, she's lowly. She's not part of the, the greatest social economic class. Before God, she too is also lowly for perhaps different reasons. And yet she sings praise because of God's act for her. In God's grace and mercy, this is what he's done for her. And from now on, all generations will 
call her blessed. We'll see her as blessed. You see, in Luke's gospel, as Luke is writing, he uses this phrase from now on to signify significant change. That there is a progression in God's plan. That something big is happening. That things will never be the same. So to give you an example, in Luke 5, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid from now on. Again, that phrase, from now on, you'll be catching men. So yeah, things, were, things weren't the same for the disciples after that. And here, things aren't going to be the same either. God's plan of salvation has moved forward in Jesus. And people will call Mary blessed because they're going to recognize the significant role that she played in God's salvation, historical plan of redemption. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we take it so far as to venerate Mary and to make her out to be more than what she is. But at the same time, we do recognize that that what God has done for Mary is special. How God, who is mighty and merciful, has acted on her behalf. And that's special. Now, at the same time, Mary's case, it's, it's unique. But it's also not unique. Because God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. It's shown in part in how God acts on behalf of Mary. But that's not where the song ends. Mary continues. God also acts for all those who fear him. God acts for all. So verses 50 to 53, this next section of the song. Let's read the lyrics together again as a congregation. Ready? And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary praises God because his mercy and his grace is not just for her. The language of the song shifts from the first person singular, what God has done for me, for Mary, to the third person plural. What God has done for all who fear him from generation to generation to generation. That's to say that all who acknowledge God's position, his authority, with the implication, of course, that that this acknowledgement means loving God and keeping his commandments. God's mercy is timeless. It's changeless. That mercy was there in the Old Testament, in the promises that were given That mercy and grace was there in the New Testament and in today as we see those promises fulfilled. As Mary sings, she's counting on the faithfulness that she is experiencing right then and there to be the faithfulness that future generations, even us today, experience as well. 
Actually, you know, as she's singing this song, she's so certain of God's faithfulness to fulfilling his promises that it comes across in, in how she phrases these things. It, it might be a little bit hard for us to catch it in the English since it's, it's really hard to translate grammar sometimes. For those of us who, who speak multiple languages, we can, we can understand and sympathize. In verses 50 to, 51 to 53, she, she sings of what God did. So these are actually all supposed to be in the past tense. So in verses 51 to 53, it would be, literally, I guess, he showed strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. Now, in one sense, it's true. God's done this throughout Israel's history. But I don't think that's exactly what Mary is perhaps referring to, at least primarily. You see, right before the song, Elizabeth exclaims, Blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. But Mary describes it in the past tense. He already fulfilled his promises. Now, is that true, though? Think of Mary. She's living in Roman-occupied Israel. She sings of the proud, the powerful, the prosperous. And how there's this huge, great reversal. But they're still there. Things doesn't look like they've changed much. And even think of today, just look at the news. The world is not how we would imagine the kingdom of heaven to be like. Now again, on the one, in one sense, yes, he's fulfilled the promise by, by sending Jesus Christ into the world, but again, none of these have happened yet. Now in Greek, when you, you, in the original language, when you wrote something in the past tense, it didn't always necessarily mean just something that happened or occurred in the past. Sometimes there's a lot more nuance to it. So what Mary's doing here, she, she's seen about these events that are tied to Jesus' final victory. What the angel told Mary about, right? That Jesus will reign forever and his kingdom will have no end. These are things that result from Jesus' conception, that are triggered by it. But, and these events are all future events. But Mary sees these things as so certain that even though they happen in the future, she can portray it and describe it as a past reality. To put it simply, Mary is describing the future work of God's Son, Jesus Christ, with the certainty of a past event. Mary saw as already accomplished what God would do, do through, her, through uh, her Son, Jesus. So she's praising God because when God makes a promise, he will keep it. He's not like you or me where we kind of flake and, you know, sometimes we don't follow through. When God makes a promise, it will happen. It is certain. That's to say that what God says he will do is as certain as what God has already done. 
What God says he will do is as certain as what God has already done. God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. And this is shown through, uh, through God's acts for Israel as well. Verses 54 to 55. Let's read together the, the last few lyrics of the song. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is how God helped Israel. Again, it's the past tense here. Mary is referring to all that God will do through Jesus Christ. Now, right now, in the narrative, as we kind of are situating ourselves in this story, Jesus hasn't done much. I mean, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, so that's, that's big, right? That's huge, and that's definitely something. At the same time, Jesus is still in Mary's room, hasn't chosen his disciples, hasn't suffered and died and rose again. The kingdom is here, but not fully yet. Now, Mary praises God because Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's hope, our hope. And the basis of all this is God's covenant mercy for his people. This is what God promised Abraham in the Old Testament. Now salvation history, this grand meta-narrative continues with the coming of Christ. Mary praises God because God remembers and he acts. God's faithful in fulfilling his promises. So faithful that we can believe that what God says he will do is as certain as what God has already done. Now what difference does it make for us then today? One difference is this. There is no premature praise when it comes to God's promises. What's, what has God promised Now, when Mary's saying, in her context, it had to do with the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah, the hope that Israel would would place all their hope in. As we prepare for this season of Advent as it's coming up, yes, we look back at the expectant waiting, the hopeful anticipation, the cheerful preparation of Christ coming into our world and our lives during Christmas. But you also, for those of us who live on this side of the cross, we look towards Christ's return with the same expectant waiting, hopeful anticipation, cheerful preparation. That's to say that Jesus has come and Jesus will come again. God's promise is the coming of Christ. Both times. Advent is a season of waiting, this tension between waiting and celebrating. Uh, We look back to God's gracious action in Christ coming, and we celebrate that. At the same time, we also know that things are not done yet. We look at this world, it's in desperate need of redemption and renewal. We look forward in eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he returns for his people. When one day there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more broken bodies, 
no more tragedies. But God will come and make all things new. And even as we wait and we look forward to that, we know that God's promises are sure. They're certain. We don't need to worry about praising God prematurely. Because sometimes isn't that the stance we usually take? Wouldn't our, our natural inclination be, well, you know, wait a minute. You know, nothing's for sure, right? A promise is a promise. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. You know, with Mary, she's celebrating. She just got this news, but in her day and time with the infant mortality rate, you know, I would wait a bit. Jesus says, I'll be back. We should wait and see. Now, there's a whole bunch of phrases that get at this notion, too. Don't celebrate too early. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Don't sell the skin before you caught the bear. The die hasn't been cast. It ain't over till it's over. Don't speak too soon. Don't jinx it. The list goes on. And this mentality, it's ingrained in us. You know, as someone who follows the Patriots a lot, you know, we know it ain't over until it's over. I remember watching the, the 2016 Super Bowl when the Patriots were down to the Falcons 28-3 in the third quarter. And there's this, uh, there's this gif that, that sometimes is circulated of the Falcons owner, I'm sorry, Falcons fans, Arthur Blank, he's seen doing this little dance. He's praising a little bit prematurely because his team was up 28-3. But the win was not a sure thing. Their win was not certain. Patriots came back in 134-28. Now, sometimes, right, we, we take that mentality, it ain't over till it's over, don't praise yet, don't celebrate just yet, and we apply it to all these other parts of our lives. This person RSVP that they're coming, but you know how it is, they may flake. You know, I, I feel like I nailed that interview, or I did really well in that SAT or MCAT or GMAT, but, you know, hold up. Let's not celebrate too early. Let's wait and see. Now, in these cases, it makes sense sometimes for us to be cautious of praising prematurely. We don't know the future. We're finite. What we say we will do is not as certain as what we've already done. But not so with God. God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. And he will fulfill them. All his promises are yes and amen. Jesus has come. He lived a perfect and sinless life and died on the cross for my sin and your sin. And Jesus will come again in final victory to usher the kingdom fully in to the extent that, that what Mary sings, this ultimate eschatological reverse of all these things, we will see not just in glimpses here and there now and today, but in fullness when Christ returns. There is no premature praise when it comes to God's promises. We can praise him now for what God has done in Christ and what God will do in Christ. We can praise God now for the coming of Christ in his birth that we read about in his word to us. We can praise God now for the coming of Christ in his return. And so our response 
magnify God who magnifies his mercy to us. At the beginning of Mary's song, that's how the, the song began, my soul magnifies the Lord. And afterwards, as Elizabeth too, she's also bearing a child, and the text says there that uh, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. That, that word there, to show great mercy, is the same word, to magnify. Same word for Mary magnifying the Lord. So God's mercy that he magnifies, that he shows, is for those who fear him, who worship him and trust him and praise him from generation to generation. Our response to let it be one of praise, magnifying the mighty and merciful God. Now I'm going to invite the worship team up now as we respond. I think as we respond rather appropriately in a song of praise, because that's what we've been talking about for the past half hour or so, for what God has done, is doing, and will do through Jesus Christ for his people. God remembers and in his might and his mercy, he acts. God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. And because of that, there is no premature praise when it comes to God's promises. And as we respond with worship, as Chris mentioned too, if you, if you didn't get a chance to, to think about the benevolence fund and to offer, and if God is leading you and convicting you to give, uh, the, offer, the offering bags will, will come along as well.